32 counties. 32 questions. My name is Una. I'm Andrea. And this is United United Ireland. Ireland. This episode, election decompression. The question... What just happened? And why everyone needs to take a hot breath. This is democracy in action. First of all, we obviously were lashing out the pods during the campaign (laughs) and we really want to thank everybody who supported us on Patreon to do that and all of our new patrons who are on board and came on board during that. We obviously did a lot of work on this (laughs) and we're um, really grateful for all of your support and just the feedback that we're getting and the type of... Uh, angles I suppose we were taking kind of looking more at the issues and uh, looking at the the sentiment that was behind uh, what then transpired weekend just gone uh, so thank you so much for that we really appreciate it and just the feedback that we've got is really really great so um, nice one I got stopped in the airport oh did you yeah. by security <laughs> <laughs> not the first time uh, no just international vibes so the <laughs> wow okay where do we even start first of all what we're going to talk about in this episode is just calming the heat that's happening with regards to the post election discourse there are so many things that need to be unpacked with regards to what happened after a historic uh, incomparable seismic uh, general election that we've just had in Ireland but you know, there should be and there will be broad social analyses of why people vote in certain way they did, why they voted for Sinn Féin in such huge numbers and the impact that this is going to have on Irish electoral politics, party politics and indeed on Irish society and people's lives as we so move on. a few little this. bits. A few little bits. A few little light bits. And so it's really difficult to know where to start because obviously there's so many things to talk about. What we are going to discuss is where we're at right now and then we're going to get into a conversation about the discourse that is unfolding um, in the aftermath of this. Uh, a lot of which is is quite unhelpful and um, we're just trying to, as always, step away from the social media bubble, from the mainstream media bubble and just offer an appraisal of um, the fact that people just need to kind of take it, as, as Andrea was saying, a hot breath and uh, just, you know, realise that democracy happens things change and those things can be very discombobulating for people you know in the immediate aftermath of uh, the election one of the things um, that I was really worried about and I'm still worried about is that the worst possible outcome of this election is division the worst possible outcome of this election is people having pops at each other either through their own triumphalism or people just slagging each other off or freaking out or all this kind of stuff. We do not need that. It's not a path that we need to go down. And actually, this election, I think, provides us with a much broader opportunity that is maybe a little bit muddled at the moment to talk about things that are very difficult with regards to our own identity and where um, this country is now proceeding. Who are we? Who are we? Where did we come from? (laughs) Yeah, all of those things. But first, you know, uh, this election weekend, um, uh, where were you, Andrea? (laughs) I was 
sitting watching the results. I actually got a call, a message on Twitter going, sorry, would you be able to just give us a few words on your uh, response to the election? I was like, oh, sorry, I can't. I'm uh, away in Berlin. Like, oh, we can give you a call. I was like, sorry, I'm actually in Bergheim and there's not one quiet space in the whole club. So sorry, no. So yeah, I, w- I just came out of Bergheim and into a whole new world, really. <laughs> Um, I was so, not. <laughs> so I know nothing of what's gone on the weekend. I was not in Berghain. <laughs> um, I spent uh, Sunday morning. Um, I d- chatted to Carl in and Dion in Joe.ie, which you can check out on their website. Their podcast is called The State of Us. It's also up on YouTube. Um, and after that, I was out in the RDS. Now, for every single election and referendum that I can remember since I've been. Working as a journalist, uh, you know, from, I guess, 18 years onwards, I've always gone out to the count centres, mostly RDS, but I have been sent to here, there and everywhere for them. But um, I don't think I've ever encountered such a peculiar atmosphere. Uh, and in what sense? Like, I think like pe- people were, there was shock. sure, like from what I could see of the coverage yesterday, People just didn't know what was going on from Gino going, I don't have a seat to getting a seat to Kate O'Connell being kicked out, not kicked out, losing her seat. But like people just didn't know. Then you had Leo and his five counts not knowing for Mm. the whole for ages, having to wait, Simon having to wait. It just felt like everyone just did not know what the fuck was going on. Yeah, the uncertainty was major and... um the, the just the kind of the conversations I was having with different journalists and stuff in the RDS, people were, you know, just trying to kind of get a handle on things. Um, obviously, there's loads of politicians knocking around. There was a lot of nerves. Um, and what was becoming very clear was that this uh, late rallying call in the campaign um, that kind of manifested on social media and spread to vote left was actually going to have an impact. Mm. And we began to see that the volume of uh, votes that Sinn Féin candidates were getting topping the poll in all, all across the country, including complete unknowns topping the poll. Uh, the impact of the surplus was really going to have... Uh, but that, does that go back to then our conversation we had last week with, where we were like with Vincent of Sinn Féin aren't probably not left and will not be left. So is that actually a vote for the left? Even though the surpluses were going up to people before profit and sock dams is there a question over that I think there's loads of questions about um, everything everything <laughs> like, I, absolutely everything yeah and I but I think when you look at the some of the stats that kind of are emerging you know 28% of the Sinn Féin surplus went to people before profit you know there was a very clear uh, journey mo- movement and moment yeah. for, for who people were voting for you could see things happening like uh, Breed Smith getting in on the, the second count because of uh, Angus Osuna these massive surplus you were seeing Sinn Féin candidates get 20,000 votes 21,000 votes they were taking up a proportion of the vote in constituencies that was in the 30% um, which saw maybe Ruth Coppinger lose her seat because yeah, of that so there's loads of loads of like really interesting dynamics in that yeah. um, after that I went out to RT to do a couple of hours on the radio there and um, uh, you know politicians were kind of coming in and out um, Richard Boyd Barrett was there uh, 
Bertie Ahern was talking about the situation in Dub- Dublin well, Central. What was he saying? Well, he was kind of being quite pragmatic um, about what was going on in, in what was his former constituency. Um, he was calling kind of Gary Gannon getting in quite early um, and that transpired to be true. Um, so all of this kind of stuff was going on and, and journalists were really, their heads were spinning, I think, and, and as all of ours were and were trying to keep up with, with uh, what was happening. Um, now, as the counts progressed, uh, as they did over Sunday and across yesterday, uh, we are now in a situation where um, Sinn Féin got 37 seats, Fianna Fáil 38, well really kind of 37 plus 1, um, Fine Gael 35. Um, and then you look at other parties that had really good elections, actually. The Green Party got 12, Sock Dems, um, you know, really going into this election. They were hoping, I think, mm. re- realistically for four and at the same time going, well, you know, we really want to keep our two TDs. They have six um, and Solidarity People for Profit with five. So there is a left and centre left uh, vote there. With regards to um, Labour, uh, you know, they're being talked about, you know, this is the worst election ever and all that kind of stuff. And I think that there are grains of hope uh, to be taken out of that. Okay, so they got six seats, uh, which I believe means that they lost one. but I think what's interesting about this election is that the animosity that was displayed towards Labour in the last election um, seems to have dissipated yeah. somewhat. And you can see that the way the votes worked, that the people who had the animosity being thrown at them are gone and the younger, new, fresher uh, team have come in. Yeah, and you, yeah, yeah you, absolutely. And Aon Reardon got a seat back and... Um, or got a seat back he was elected uh, so I think that Labour can take some heart from what looks like a really uh, difficult election I think that there is an opportunity for them to rebuild um, now let's look at some of the high profile losses before we get into other parts Shane Ross Regina Doherty uh, Joan Burton Catherine Zappone I'm uh, sorry I am living for Andrew's responses to who's in and out <laughs> <laughs> um, Catherine Zappone who's, who um, I actually worked with on the National LGBT Youth Strategy um, she lost her seat uh, you know very kind of close to the edge there having got in very close to the edge last time. Uh, Mary Mitchell O'Connor, Lisa Chambers, Pat the Cope Gallagher, you know, that's a major figure in Donegal politics, lost his seat. Ruth Coppinger, Kate O'Connell. There are a lot of casualties of, I suppose, what can be broadly called the repeal heroes. Mm. And there's a lot of analysis to be done about how the sentiment of repeal brought some people uh, into the doll and actually how the votes panned out then other people uh, weren't able to capitalise on that so it's not necessarily this direct response to repeal that we might think yeah, of yeah. Um, it, it's a different kind of thing it feels like the worker bees of repeal got the boot yeah if, but uh, I, I'm not sure if that was an intent it's, it, these things are kind of you know, I hate to use the term collateral damage of a different kind of vote. I don't think people were out mm. there targeting, yeah, yeah, let's yeah. get these people out because we look... Oh no, 100%. But I feel like even from when I went to f- some of the first meetings with the Coalition for Repeal, that the people who were there were the ones, and I'm not saying that the other people weren't doing the work, but they were the ones that, there week in, week out, doing the graft, but they weren't the ones looking for the glory of it. They were doing it because it was the right thing to do. And then when you come back to when the results were coming out, the people who were being circulated on that stage in Dublin Castle were not the people who were at those meetings at the start. And I ran into some of them and I was like, why aren't you up there? And it was like, oh, you just know how it goes. And it, like, I just think that's 
really interesting and a lot of them were the women a lot of the time because women and I was talking to somebody else about this women don't feel the need to glory hunt or look for praise they're just getting stuck in a lot of the time and then that can bite them in the arse especially in something like politics because that's the nature of it you're kind of you're playing the people and looking for glory and looking for popularity and you're trying to get voted back in with that and unless you're singing your own praises or you have a chorus of people doing that for you you're not going to get the thing and I think that's a read and somebody made a very good point you, you have to be an extrovert in politics and I think you have to be an extrovert for saying how great you are and a lot of people aren't and a lot of the really good people don't want to be like that and that's I think a, a fall down of politics On the point of women as well it wasn't a great election um, for women um, there were a lot of high profile women who lost their seats although equally um, there were many women who particularly in, in Sinn Féin and in the Social Democrats who were elected so There's we only one more woman in politi- in the do- in the vote now than there was in 2016 Which is mad One I- more and there's only one in the whole of Cork Mm. Like, that is bananas. One uh, positive aspect um, was the abject failure of far-right candidates. Conor Gallagher is a good piece in the Irish Times about how um, far-right or anti-immigrant immigration candidates um, failed, you know, across the board, uh, which runs counter to a lot of the narratives that we're seeing, particularly from uh, journalists outside of Ireland trying to characterise this as a particular type of, and the volume of swing. Of- coverage that they get yeah. and and airtime and all that jazz. Yeah. Um, so that's a really but, great positive to, to take yeah. away from the election that we are, our democracy is robust enough to kind of call these people out and, and actually not give them a, the attention they so desperately yeah. crave. Call out the extremists but there were a lot of people who were masquerading as as middle of the road kind of far right is that that's such a term is that my, am I after making up some political lingo no I think you're right middle like, of the road far right I think when you look at um, three politicians in particular who've expe- expressed viewpoints that are you know deeply offensive um, Noel Grealish Verona Murphy and Michael Collins who defended Grealish they were all elected um, they're not far right candidates but the things that they say um, or have said in the past are you know gross and, and unacceptable um, the Healy Rays the Healy Rays got back um, and a rare climb down for Danny Healy Ray after telling that, um, you know, to hell with the planet. He's sorry uh, for the planet. Not sure if the planet accepts that apology, um, but it was an interesting moment of contrition. Now, let's get into the Sinn Féin surge. So this Sinn Féin surge was real. Um, we had been covering this throughout the um, our little election special podcasts um, and it transpired. I think, you know, as we were saying at the top of this, there's so much stuff to unpack uh, with regards to why this happened. Um, and we will get into that in, in later podcasts. But suffice to say that people were voting on the issues that they said they were voting on. Um the momentum was real. The power of the Sinn Féin brand superseded um, the, you know, prowess of many candidates in different areas who got elected who were kind of looking at them going, who? Who are you? Um, you took a holiday in the middle of your campaign and you got elected? Okay. Sorry. She was questioned so ridiculously 
on RTE yesterday I thought it was absolutely shocking they just it was Brian Dobson just kept going for and you went on holidays uh, I just thought it was very ill-advised to just really go for someone about going on holidays during a campaign just because it's your job and you're looking for election and she very clearly said she would put her family first on this occasion and they he went for her again I think look she won so yeah, and she probably had no idea that she was going to uh, win. Certainly not top of the poll. But anyway, that goes to show the power of the brand. Um, what's been talked about less is why that brand, that Sinn Féin brand, is powerful. Um, and, you know, a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about around public sentiment uh, came true, you know. And uh, the fact is, is that these issues that were to the fore and the change that people wanted and not just change, general change for change's sake. You know, there's very specific change. People wanted to end the binary mm. of Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil. And it was being pitted as this ambiguous change in the run up to the last few days. It was just like people just want change and they don't know what they want. And I think what we've learned is that they did know what they want and they voted for it. Yeah, and there's been, um, if you're a subscriber to the Irish Times, for example, uh, there is really good um, kind of detailed um, exit poll data there about why people were voting um, and what they were voting on. It breaks it down from what your first preference was um, and how issues, you know, how those issues then relate to you, age, demographics, gender, and so on. Um, time and time again, we're seeing health and housing, health and housing, health and housing, health and housing, um, and that was uh, what, what was what was going on, you know. And this is a much broader piece of social analysis that needs to uh, take place of why people are now swaying um, in this particular way. There are huge questions to be asked about um, social mobility in this country. You know, Emma Kerwin kind of talks about that there's this entire generation that's, you know, lost or left behind or locked out of things. This is really about um, the crash. And, you know, I kind of said before the election that that this election is going to be an echo of the crash. An awful lot of this stuff is rooted in the opportunities and futures that were taken away from people Mm. and the subsequent policies that came into play in order to, quote unquote, rebuild the country and who those policies um, excluded and who they benefited. I also think it was very much empathy led because so as we're being told over and over again, the country's doing well, everyone has jobs, but there's still the stories of people who aren't doing well. And I think people are saying it's not good enough that we can be doing so well and can have so much wealth in the country that we are not taking care of our own and I th- and people who are in our country, in their country and whatever. I think there is a huge empathy surge that has come out of this um, election for sure. Yeah, and it's kind of something I've been writing about over the last few years with regards to you can't have this massive you know, five-year conversation about people's personal experiences and asking people to extend empathy to others maybe not like them or on their behalves and that not seep into electoral politics. It didn't happen straight away and it's happening now. Um, Fintan O'Toole has a good piece this week about how this vote is actually a desire of the Irish electorate to have, you know, have normality, that we want certain basic services that are well run and that are good. We're not going, we're not going far left with this. We're going, we just want a normally run country. Yeah, that's kind of his um, reading of it. And I think that's correct. And also something that I was thinking about an awful lot is, 
you know, this this uh, movement around vote left, transfer left, I was kind of thinking during the campaign, wow, we're talking about the left now in Ireland. We kind of don't really do that. And um, it's so interesting that that is happening, that we're having this conversation around leftist ideals when in the rest of the world, that binary of left right is actually fragmenting and becoming far more complex. And it's like we're playing catch up, you know, by a few decades to what that actually means. I hope we don't catch up as much as they go to the right. No, hopefully not. Um, and I don't I don't think so. I think that um, it's really, really important to have a perspective about the sentiment in this. And I think that time and time again, when parents of, of you know, people in their thir- 20s and 30s who were, who were living at home are going, I didn't have, uh, you know, a, a life like this. Mm. I was actually able to buy a house and I was broke. So why can't my kids do it? And when you have a situation of people who, you know, are relatively privileged or middle class and actually can't afford to rent and they want certain types of public services. And, you know, Andrea, you were talking about before we, we were came on about, you know, is the hardship overstated? Um, I saw Roisin Agnew, Agnew tweet this thing like, you know, uh, homelessness increased or child homelessness increased 500% um, in, in the time that Fine Gael has been in power. Um, the hardship is very visceral uh, for a certain aspect of the population. For the other side of the population um, who maybe have a bit, bit more privilege but are still finding quality of life stuff very mm. difficult, I do think that our standards are higher now and I think that we are asking for things um that we believe uh, to be warranted in our society and that we see in other places like you know Irish people are very well educated and well travelled and you go to different cities or countries and go shit like you know they can do this over here or this country has this why can't we have that and I think um, breaking that um, centrist or centre-right or conservative binary is a result of a massive discontent about where our country is. Especially when you're being thrown back in your face over and over again how well we're doing and how well we've recovered and how much money we have and how much all the big companies are supporting us and how much corporation tax they have and yet we still don't have benches. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think Lynn Ruan was on RTE um, the other day making really good points about how the Fine Gael standpoint of coming out and basically saying to the electorate, you're not listening to how great we're doing and you have to give us time to show you how great we are, um, really, really infuriated people. Mm. And it was a type of gaslighting, as, as she called it, a type of narcissism as well of, you know, you can talk about, um, you know, GDP and, you know, economic prowess internationally all you want. But if people are not seeing it on the ground, um, you're going to get punished. And in many ways, Fine Gael, um, and w- in cahoots with Fine Fáil, committed the ultimate sin of Irish politics, which is that they didn't look after things at home. And while international journalists might go, Leo Vragger is so fetid on an international stage. How come people don't like him here? It's like a lot of the stuff that they're talking about, broader economic progress in an international context, management of Brexit, were not about issues that are relevant to people's day-to-day lives. And the punishment for that is very similar to the person who gets elected in a constituency, um, you know, on a big local vote and then goes off and spends all their time in Kildare Street and doesn't look after their constituency. We're seeing a national echo of that 
And I do think as well that what is quite odd in a general election, people seem to be voting broadly on national issues, on the direction of the country. We talk so much about how parochial Irish politics is and how, you know, we end up voting on local issues in uh, national elections. This did seem to break Mm. that sentiment as well. Um, so there's there is so much to to talk about here, um, but what we kind of uh, want to, uh, I suppose we need to make, make a gesture towards what happens next in terms of the government formation. The numbers aren't there for any two parties to come together. Um, so we get into this situation of like what combinations are possible. Uh, Mary Lou Macdonald was straight out of the traps well ahead of everyone at the weekend and very much looking in charge. I'm going. I'm to, going to be Tisha, <laughs> and I'm, I will. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I'm going to sort this out and uh, saying straight away that she was looking at the potential for a left wing coalition government made out of Sinn Féin and smaller parties. I just don't think that's possible. I don't think the numbers are there. Um, They're physically not there. Yeah. Like where can they come from? Apart from if they cobble in a load of independence with it as well. So There's ne- not even enough independence though if you break it down into where they all sit on the political spectrum. There's right. not. Uh, the numbers aren't there for them to go in together. So now you get into what actually happens. Um, and one of the things that is going to become quite dominant is how wary these parties who say they want to be in government are of actually being in government. Um, Fianna Fáil kind of saying, you know, we did confidence and supply for the good of the country and now look at us. It's like, OK, well, <laughs> it wasn't actually about you, apparently. But, um, and and uh, the Grand Coalition with Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, also the numbers aren't there for that. They'd have to bring in some independence as well. I think any smaller party uh, will run for the mm. hills when it comes to going in with Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael. But like, how could Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael go in together? It would just be political suicide for both of them because people are have voted for the change and if they don't get any semblance of change it's just going to be a downward spiral so like they'd be bananas to do that and yeah deeply unpopular really the only party that has a mandate here is Sinn Féin you know the the um the level of the vote that they got, the fact that people responded to their messaging, you know, they're adapting to the electorate and the electorate is adapting to them. Um, they got caught public sentiment. They concentrated on the issues. They promised a lot of things. They're the party with the mandate. Now, whether or not they can bring that forward is another mm-hmm. thing. Whether or not they can go in with Fianna Fáil, I mean, I don't know. I mean, so so we're going to have... Se- like, I just, after the performance Michal Martin put in in all the debates of just being so so uh, almost vengeful towards Mary Lou and just being like hateful and we will never do this and now to hear of it all warming up is kind of like uh, I just it's one of the things I hate about politics of how you're actually barraging people and being quite, I don't know, political, shall we say. I hate (laughs) how politics is so political, but it's just the games that you have to play emotionally in front of cameras or whatever is just taking people on these rides. It's, it's, I just think it's horrible. The, um, there are also going to be a lot of questions about Micheál Martin's leadership Mm. um, and there will be protracted conversations and uh, within Fianna Fáil about where that party progresses because, you know... I kind of feel like th- the three main parties of the pa- the three last main parties, Labour, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael are all going to have la- leadership issues. Yeah. Um, I think 
Fianna Fáil and Labour more so. I, mm. I, 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 I think it would be kind of unusual if, if they're... Um, if if Leo Varadkar stepped down as leader, I, I don't really see that that happening. Um, I think that at this stage, the the kind of that the, doesn't mean there won't be questions about his leadership. No, of course not. But the kind of mood music mm. about what that's unfolding at the moment is kind of about okay, Sinn Fein, go on off and and do it. Let's see let's see what happens. Um, you know. Uh, it does. I, I mean, I still I know I said it ages ago, but I do feel that this is election one of two, um, whether that comes after a, a unstable government falling or whether that means that um, nobody can come together. Nobody can come together and there'll be another election. I also think that Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael will be quite wary of that. There might be a sem- sense that Sinn Féin will be like, OK, let's do it. Put in all the candidates. Rack up the candidates, yeah. go in, finish the job, have a broader left alliance there. Um, I think I think that there's going to be a lot of like steps forward and steps back, and um, we'll just see how that unfolds. It, it it's a fucking bizarre <laughs> time. It. I keep trying to take a step back and going, wow, this just is is so you know, change can be very unsettling and scary sometimes. Um, but also, it's uh, it's also something to to um, be seized. I I think that you know. Um, if we do break it down of how the uh, how the parties can possibly move forward, like Fine Gael can't go in, won't go in as a support. They're going to want they're, opposition. Yeah. Fianna Fáil have promised that they won't go in with Sinn Féin, but they're warming to them now. Will that work out for them if they do that? Then Sinn Féin obviously are just going to try and get the things in. So how can it go anywhere? It feels like there's just no solution. It's going to be very tricky to... to um Form government, that's for sure. So who knows what's going to happen? Um, yeah. So Come on, Una, get your oracle out. <laughs> who knows what's going to happen? I don't know. I think that the most like, if there is a government to be formed, I do think the most likely outcome is Fianna Fáil, Sinn Féin. I think that they're less far apart um, than you know they pitch themselves. Um, I think they are both. You know, this this kind of charge against. Sinn Féin from Fianna Fáil about populism for example like you know this is a party that for you know decades literally stuck its finger in the wind to see which way it was blowing and then went with that you know when you talk about populism and Fianna Fáil this is a party that was literally giving people free money during the Celtic Tiger um, so you know it's a, it's a party that had you know their dominant leader of the last you know 30 years has been Bertie Ahern who you know the man of the people strong leader um very like connected on the ground populist type guy um, and very strategic and all of that can kind we, of stuff can we stop using the word, word populist yeah, I yeah. hate it okay well we'll get to that later <laughs> um, so I think either there will be um, a, a, another election or or somehow a cobbling together of Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin but I, I just don't know like I think that you know, that strate- takes the power almost out of Sinn Féin where they are right now. It depends. I mean, like they could easily say, well, we're going to do that. And Mary Lou is Taoiseach or Tornish then. Oh, no, Brain is a minister for housing and all that kind of so stuff. So they get all the bits they want and that they're strong at. Well, yeah, and then they can, the ropes And they can also government. collapse government at any time. Mm. But I think equally... There was also a conversation about maybe a rolling t- Taoiseach that... Roll over Taoiseach. <laughs> oh my God, yes. <laughs> I put myself forward. <laughs> But I think, um, you know, Sinn Féin are going to be going into whatever negotiations they're going to be going into with a whole load of red lines um, that may be purposefully insurmountable 
uh, that could also lead to another election. So we don't know what's going to happen, um, even though we did predict a lot of this stuff that was happening. <laughs> uh, predictions are us in this kind of arena now where there's a lot of flux are a bit for mug. So we'll just um, keep abreast of this. But aside from that, in the immediate aftermath of this election, um, there was an extremely heightened discourse that was emerging and is ongoing. And we want to talk about the type of discourse that's happening now and why everyone needs to chill. Welcome to the chill zone. Um, look, just bear in mind here that Andrea was in Bergheim at the weekend, right? She's just going to lick I'm, the ski. I've got my legs up and I'll come in in moments, but I am not, I'm not the talker today. In the immediate aftermath of this election, right, um, there was a lot of triumphalism. There was a lot of people freaking out. There was a lot of head spinning. There was a lot of, um, you know, this kind of idea that we've entered the upside down and what is happening and change is scary and all that kind of stuff. Look. Remain calm. It's democracy at work. Uh, changes, uns- un, you know, unnerving sometimes. And we are breaking these binaries. And uh, sometimes you can't put the genie back in the box. I think suffice to say that the type of political um, shenanigans that we all, that I'm 36 years old, right? That the stuff that we grew up in, the stuff that was the preserve of our parents, these massive parties, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil, where every time you watch TV at elections, all these like alphas and sports jackets, you know, cheering and hooshing people up on their shoulders. Can I, sorry to stop you, but did you see the photograph of Jack Chambers when he was elected and his peers all around him? Yes, I did. Yeah, quite el- elderly gentleman. I mean, I'm sure really nice. Um, but that kind of vibe, right? I feel like that is the political um, vista of our parents' generation. Mm. And at some point that had to change. And I think it's beginning to change now. The only constant is change. And this is just the type of thing that happens And I also think it's really important to have some context as well with regards to this idea that we're entering into the unknown. Ireland's evolution to uh, like a multi-party system isn't actually an evolution. You know, it happened before. At the dawn of the 90s, Ireland elected Mary Robinson as president. She was a feminist who'd fought for gay rights and she represented, I suppose, what was then modern Ireland. And we've had several versions of modern Ireland since Dick Spring, who was the leader of the Labour Party, he found himself, you know, at the right place and in the right time at that moment. And in the 1992 general election, Labour went from 15 seats to 33. And that was a surge that the press labelled the Spring Tide. And that period, um, when Labour actually entered into coalition with Fianna Fáil and then with Fianna Gael and the Democratic left, um, Labour took six ministries and they just embarked on this progressive programme of social change, including decriminalisation of homosexual acts between men, permitting the sale of condoms without a prescription. Um, there was a referendum on removing the constitutional ban on divorce. There was the abolition of third level tuition fees. And the governments that followed them, you know, the Bertie Ahern Celtic Tiger era in coalition with the PDs lasted for the guts of a decade. And we know what happened then. So there have been massive moments of of change even very recently. So when you like leave aside the peculiarities of Sinn Féin as a party, and obviously there are many, they are quite an unusual party. 
um, the Sinn Féin surge might feel more radical right now to large swathes of the Irish population simply because it's like the first time in the lifetime of many people in Ireland today um, that people are actually surging left in such high numbers. And when you think about it, only those over 46 years old and above were of voting age when the spring tide sprung. And nobody under the age of 40 in Ireland today was of voting age in 1997 when Bertie Hearn became Taoiseach. So this is the first time this generation is seeing a left surge. Um, and while their parents might characterise as something else, and certainly people in the Irish Independent might characterise as something else, <laughs> that is kind of what it, it feels like. You know, most people in Ireland are under the age of 36. A third of our population is under 25. We have the youngest population in Europe. It is inevitable that having already taken social change into our hands, that we were going to take the change of electoral politics into our hands as well. Um, so that's the kind of context, context for it as well. Now, in the aftermath of, um, you know, Sinn Féin winning so many seats and, you know, as Mary Lou was saying, winning the popular vote, very Hillary-esque, um, there was an awful lot of, uh, you know, just kind of people shouting at each other, you know, and, and this includes like politicians, uh, even politicians who won, you know, being very prickly uh, in broadcast media, in particular, you know, the likes of Jim O'Callaghan, let's say, who won, a, who's Fianna Fáil and won a seat in Dublin Bay South. And I was listening to him on RTE radio and Paul Murphy was on with him as well. And he was having these mad pops at Paul Murphy going like, go on then, the hard left, go and do your thing. It's ridiculous. And talking about how the hard left would destroy the country. And it's like, dude, you're in Fianna Fáil. OK, you might know a thing or two about how your party um, participated in the destruction of our economy. So just like calm down, everyone. Calm down. There's loads of stuff that we're going to have to unpick about this. There's loads of stuff that is being thrown at people in terms of, you know, calling Fine Gael posh boys for the last however many years. Um, there's a massive class element in this as well. People shouting at other people who are uncomfortable with somebody saying up the raw and calling them like pearl clutching and all that kind of stuff, which is kind of like calling someone a snowflake in reverse or whatever. A lot of people are very uncomfortable with with what's happening and a lot of people are very pissed off that other people are uncomfortable with it. What I would say to my fellow middle class people of the pale is that if you fear or are threatened by Sinn Féin going into government, then you're going to have to examine why you weren't as fearful with Fine Gael being in government. Maybe their policies didn't touch you in the same way. And maybe you're scared now about potential policies that may have an impact. I think that there's a lot of people need to ask themselves a lot of questions about their own privilege and about their own environments about being so um, disgusted with this up the raw thing which is just stupid anyway but you kind of have to question people have to question like are you hearing up the raw for the first time like because I actually hear it not infrequently like at parties or you know people saying it off the cuff I also think we need to have a discussion about the IRA and the IRAs that people are confusing um, you know people giving out about tricolours and all this kind of stuff like just everybody just stop and take a breath and calm down I what think do- there's definitely a fear of the legacy of Sinn Féin and where we our history as a country and um where we've come from and what has happened for us to get here. Um, And 
this is, I suppose, goes back to even conversations I was having today about in various WhatsApp groups about the up the ass stuff. It's like l- listen to and I, I'm not, I'm not defending. I th- I don't I don't I don't think I don't personally think that an elected TD should be. S- like shouting up the rat but then at the same time I don't think that everyone should be going to rugby matches and singing Aaron Naveen and then having a problem with what this because it is how our country came to be I suppose yeah and where the civil war happened and where we got our independence um, and we didn't I don't think anybody wants violence in our country but it can be seen by I suppose the type of of up the ra that that stands for. Now um, he did come out and define it was the hunger strikers, etc. That he was thing, but I suppose people just associate uh, the recent ra, shall we say, with kneecapping and violence and drugs and all that kind of stuff, as opposed to the um, the sacrifices that people made for our independence. I, yeah, I think that there needs to, I think what this election also speaks to is um, the wide scale ignorance of um, the politics of the North in the South. And I include myself in that. Like, mm. I mean, I think broadly um, people in the South tend to have a very cliff notes understanding of um, the troubles and of um, the history. Um, and also, uh, you know, I think a lot of people who maybe grew up on border counties or grew up in the north or are Sinn Féin supporters themselves um, are finding that the suspicions that they had about this discourse that is very pale, um, Dublin, middle class uh, being compounded, you know, that people don't understand and that people, um, you know, view republicanism as a working class uh, ideology. We need to talk about class. We need to talk about sectarianism. We need to talk about republicanism. Now, that we need to talk about what it means to be Irish. Like I've found myself reflecting on is that who I define myself as or what does it mean to define myself as Irish or Republicanism or whatever it is I am. I I, I kind of, this has thrown it all up in the air for me, whereas I didn't have to examine that beforehand and whereas now you kind of do. And I think that that's why this election, if people take a breath, can actually provide us with as a society an opportunity that maybe we didn't see coming but one that we have to actually take because I do think that we are now either accidentally or by some hand of fate in another phase of our process of reconciliation with ourselves and with our nation's past because we have reconciled in recent years so many different scars of our history and society. We've reconciled with how queer people have been treated in this country. We've tried to reconcile with how women have been demonised in this country. So this election is not just an opportunity to reconfigure the political landscape. It's a moment where we can actually um, discuss what the origins of our contemporary Irishness is, what it means, what it feels like and how can it work. And I think it's a moment to be open and to talk about our issues and hang ups and fears and worries about Irish republicanism, about nationalism, about unity, about religion, because we don't actually do that in the South, really. Um, And we need to start doing it. And it's kind of about recognising what that feeling is when we flinch when we hear up the rah. And it's about recognising what that feeling is when we want to say it. It's kind of about addressing 
the edginess of that past. And it's also about most of us in the South not understanding the trauma that that emerges from. It's kind of about this weird emotional legacy of witnessing a conflict from a distance. And it's about recognising how apologetic and maybe even ashamed we are about not having direct experience of that. Um, yet so, still how some owning it, somehow owning it and often co-opting it um, and often trivialising it as well. And I think it's about our southern survivor guilt, you know, and I think we need to look this moment. These big fucking things that we need to discuss are not going to be. Uh, played out in the political arena and I don't think you know Sinn Féin are going to suddenly go let's have this big open happy discussion about you know how we can proceed as, as Irish people but as we know political parties never lead these discussions mm-hmm. we have to talk about this stuff right now because people shouting at each other on Twitter or arguing in their WhatsApp groups or having pops at each other about clutching pearls or singing songs or waving flags or being posh or not getting uh, you know the class element of this or whatever we need to step back and start examining those things and this election you know, and all of the stuff that it's throwing up um, has to, we have to take take something positive from that and start having these discussions. How we have them, I don't know. I'm in the middle of writing the biggest fucking think piece of all time <laughs> about it at the moment because I just do think it's fascinating um, and particularly removing oneself from um, the various types of privilege that you have and recognising how your opinions have been formed by media, by your environment, by your upbringing, uh, by your geographical placement of accident, you know, all of those things we need to address. Um, Because like, you know, I think I said it at at the top of the podcast, like the worst possible outcome of this is division. Like we have spent a decade coming together, like and, and actually making really positive social change. We have broken a tribalism with this election. We cannot have a new tribalism. It doesn't serve anyone well. Whatever happens with government formation conversations and all that kind of stuff, we actually have to step back, take a breath. And I really want to say something about um, media and, and social media in this as well. You know... The 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 main fucking mainstream media. I mean, found people people who are like not giving out about mainstream media normally. I'm sure find themselves during this election going the mainstream media, the mainstream media, and all of a sudden you're like, Jesus, what am I talking like? But I do think that it's really interesting that in the week before the vote, um, you know, large tracks of the mainstream media were honing in on issues around the IRA particularly around the murder of Paul Quinn. And I'm not going to get into those things because there are people who are far more versed in those topics than I am who can talk about them. And what we saw was that um, Mary Lou MacDonald and the you know loads of columnists and all that kind of stuff, it was all about the IRA, the IRA, the IRA. And there was, um, I think, a, a, a suspicion amongst many journalists that this kind of thing was going to shave off a lot of Sinn Féin curious support. And what happened was you had that week of IRA discourse and people went out and voted for Sinn Féin in even bigger numbers. So people didn't care about the IRA and we have to ask why. And we also have to wonder whether um, as well as uh, having really fantastic and important scrutiny of um, political parties, often on topics that the public might be in the public interest, but the public aren't interested in, 
at some point as well, like the media has to park what they consider things that be people sh- people should be bearing in mind when they go to vote, and what pe- and instead examine what people were actually considering, um, and what they were actually bearing in mind when they go to vote. This always brings me back to the question: Is it a jo- is it a politician's job to reflect the consensus of the people, or is it the politician's job to bring people along with them? Yeah, it's a really it's a really tricky question. But what I oh yeah, what I wanted to say about um, social media as well, um, yeah. So that's kind of the mainstream media thing, and and, and you know I, I know the journalistic instinct to kind of go after a story and all that. Like I absolutely understand it, and I also think it's really important. And Sinn Fein um, does deserve a different kind of scrutiny, perhaps, um, than other parties. Although I do find myself, you know, when there's a lot of heat in the moment, you end up engaging in what about and you end up end up becoming more entrenched in your points of view and going well you know if they're talking about Sinn Féin and the IRA then why do I never hear the DUP asked about you know their links or if they're talking about Sinn Féin and the IRA and the and the violence why aren't they talking about you know the violence that has been perpetrated in much more complex and subtle ways to people through Fine Gael's policies or if they're talking about Sinn Féin and the IRA why aren't they talking about the collaboration uh, in you know between the state and the church uh, to, to you know create what Keelan Hughes calls you know the shame industrial complex that Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil presided over uh, for the guts of a century and it's like is that what about re- good or is it bad? I don't know. All mm. I know is that we need to talk about these things. But with regards to the social media thing and, you know, <coughs> I stopped, as you know, uh, Andrea, <laughs> I stopped using Twitter in um, last, about last September and, um, y- you know, I, st- I, I, I dipped back into it um, in the days running up to this campaign because I wanted to keep abreast of what people were saying and, you um, uh, Sarah, my girlfriend, sends my tweets for me um, when I want to kind of alert to an article or a podcast. And the reason that I stepped away from that is because I found that discourse really unhelpful. I think that it is bubble. Um, it's very stressful and it creates a type of groupthink where you're often missing the point and engaging in what about and, and focusing on really pedantic things that don't actually matter. I found that when I stepped away from that, that my thinking became much more clear. And I think that in our own analysis of this election we were able to reach into a different type of public sentiment because we were looking more broadly than these micro controversies online Um, so I have a sneaking suspicion that there will not be a very clear calm uh, measured discourse (laughs) emerging from social media over the next few weeks so you know I'm just relaying my own experience that I think it's actually really great and helpful to step away from those very, very heightened discussions and actually sit with your own feelings for a little bit and try and think it out. You know, let's think it out. Let's stop taking pot shots at each other and let's think about what is happening here. Um, Read some books, you know, (laughs) maybe read Burned, uh, you know, read some history and um, we can kind of then formulate uh, a broader way through what is a very... um, disruptive I suppose period of change that for some people is you know very welcome and they've been really feeling the pain of what has been happening over the past 10 years and for others they just can't understand um, why people would vote for in a particular way um, but you know these are these are kind of big questions that we need to be working out um, so that's what I think Andrea do you have anything to add? Berlin was cool <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, My think piece is not as long. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know when I'll be finished this. I'm like currently at like, what am I at? 7,800 words of it. I started last night. Okay, God only knows when or if that will ever be published. Um, listen, uh, change happens fast and slow and fast again. Um, and I think we have to be cognizant of we were all like we need change not putting it on a pedestal but not being afraid of it either so like it isn't the answer to everything but it isn't something to be afraid of either cool fave bits (laughs) (laughs) how's that for a segue what were your fave election bits Andrea like I don't have any there (laughs) I'm just taking the week off this week. Okay, grand. <laughs> so my favourite election bits were... Um, Actually, I have one. Go on. Where, when the whole IRA up the rat thing happened, Mary Lou's response of like, I'm not their mammy. Yeah. It's like, it could not be any more Irish. I'm not their mammy. They can do their own bits. I just... She's just a gas bitch. <laughs> well, so some of my favourite election bits um, on the more lighter side of, <laughs> of uh, the sitch. Um, the Holly Carnes, Christopher O'Sullivan, Cork Southwest rom-com. Um, hook it to my veins. I want my uh, Netflix algorithmically designed uh, rom-com of that right well, now. Well, do you know what is a bad side of this what? rom-com? Apparently he told her that she wouldn't do very well in the local elections and she got her seat and then he told her that she wouldn't do well if she hadn't got a chance in this. Why are you hearing so, that? On Twitter. Oh, is that real? No, it was, no, she said it. All right, okay. Yeah, she was like, he told me I didn't have a chance. Like, obviously that was a throwaway comment, but still... Well, that's not the support you want from your husband. They both got in on the same count, so we'll never know where their transfers went. And I suppose she said she didn't vote for him. Oh Jesus! Yeah, when they vote for herself. No, but uh, on the council, she was like, "I didn't vote for him to be mayor." I really think we need to get Holly Carnes in here to put her side (laughs) of the story across. I don't know. Sometimes I just well listen. Think con- the rom coms that are made up are sometimes better. Maybe, um, but <laughs> have I mentioned Made in Manhattan recently? <laughs> I thought we'd get through one podcast. Um, my other fave bit was Gary Gannon getting elected. Um, obviously, he was on the pod uh, during the campaign, and Gary's worked really hard on the ground. And I um, just think it's you know he lost out quite cruelly uh, in the last election and I think uh, you know I think the Social Democrats doing well is a really good story of this election I love the Social Democrats and uh, yeah so fair play to Gary uh, well done hard work paid off and um, yeah my also I would like to say about the Social Democrats they did um, an analysis of why they think they've done well I think it might have been Gary who actually did it yesterday yeah I'd say or maybe doesn't matter. The, just the analysis of like how for the last four years we're going to build this party from the ground up. We're going to take, we're going to do it with policies. We're not going to be dramatic. We're going to be positive all the time. And I think that is come true now with the support that they're getting um, and what they're focusing on. Yeah, fair. Um, my other fave bit was Emma Curran was on Claire Byrne with um, Neil Richmond of Fine Gael um, the other night and there was it was just like I kind of was looking at it going God I wonder what it's like for like some random tourist to be in the airport hotel turning on TV looking at these like big discussions and Emma was talking about you know why people voted a certain way but there was this amazing moment where Emma was kind of talking about I think he was talking about like the lack of empathy or whatever um, with regards to Fine Gael's policies and Neil Richmond then went on this Who's Neil Richmond? Uh, he's a Fine Gael TD Um, He went on this um, kind of whole buzz about like, look, you know, this is public service. This is a vocation. Um, We, 
you know, we like we're passionate about this. Like we dedicate our lives to to politics and we don't go into something going, I want to be like do all this market led fucking policy or whatever. And um, it was really interesting because basically the conversation then kind of stopped and I think they're about to wrap up. And Emmett then just went look, yeah, no, I totally get it. And, you know, I don't mean to diminish public service or what you want to do. And for me, it was a real good example of that we can have our heightened feelings and we can have the things that we perceive. But uh, when other people are putting across their cases about their own personal situations that you can then go, yeah, I get that. I understand where you're coming from. Mm. I might fundamentally disagree with your politics, but I really understand where you're coming from. And I think that that kind of discourse is, to understand each other is really important right now. So um, I don't know if you can watch that back in the player or whatever, but it was very, very interesting. Um, now, this week's Get in the Sea. Hit me, Andrea. <laughs> I did allude to it earlier. It's the word that I cannot abide by because it absolutely has no meaning anymore. Um, it's populism and the rise of populism and populist this and populist that nobody knows what they're talking about when they say it anymore they're literally like am I talking about the far right am I talking about just things that are popular am I talking about people who are promising things but are are not going to deliver I'm, like there's just no meaning to it and I think it's a really lazy way out of just describing surges that you don't really know or want or understand excellent now, so uh, get in the sea populism. <laughs> over the next few weeks, we are going to be. Um, and like, actually, can I? I'm not on, finished. On, uh, on, sorry, on. the more I think about it, like the whole job of politics is to be popular. So how can anyone not be a populist if the real meaning of it is uh, like it just means nothing? Yeah, I think we need new words. <laughs> um, over the next few weeks, we're going to be. Um, pulling the strands of what this election means, providing some kind of broader social analysis uh, about what has happened and uh, the issues that people were voting on, why the things that it's thrown up around Sinn Féin's parties, legacy, structure, uh, who's quote-unquote pulling the strings, all that kind of stuff. We're going to be talking about history and we're going to be talking about the IRAs and we're going to be talking about where we came from all of uh, these kind of things that and class and we're going to be talking about that, that kind of stuff as well as our usual um, uh, focus on a county <laughs> every week might finish those 32 counties might, soon will we might finish 32 <laughs> counties at some stage but if you are interested in this kind of stuff um, you can subscribe to us or buy some podcasts off us is that your buy some content buy some content patreon.ie forward slash or fuck patreon.com forward slash United Ireland and um, yeah thank you so much for your support to date uh, it's wild time and let's navigate it together <laughs> How about that? We're going to need a bigger boat. This podcast is produced by Andrew Mang and Castaway Media with support from Susie Bennett. Crystal Clear gave us his tuna chicken roll for a soundtrack and uh, Sarah Fox did all our design. Andrea? Sorry, I'm, I was furiously trying to find a tuna chicken roll because I forgot to get one. <laughs> but you can find links to everything on our website, uh, unitedirelandpodcast.com. And if you are enjoying listening, let us know. But otherwise, we would just really enjoy if you uh, bought some content off us. Uh, the tuna chicken roll this week is not come out, you black and <laughs> That's what I was. No, absolutely no. not. <laughs> um, what is it? You were in Burgoyne for the weekend. Uh, surely you heard a tune. Uh, do you know what the song of Burgoyne was? What? Much to the dismay of the people I was with who were actually DJing in Burgoyne. Medusa. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Uh, I don't know what the name of it is. Let me... 
you do the outro there and I'll get it. Okay, right. I've da, been... Da, 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 okay, da, so tuna chicken roll is Medusa. I've been Una Malali. Piece of your heart. Okay, Medusa, piece of your heart. You on that, Andrew? <laughs> sure. We got top, there. Top class organisation today. <laughs> I've been Una Malali. I've been Andrea Horan. This has been United Ireland and that was Election, election decompression. decompression. Take a breath, everyone. Can we get some C sounds? Oh, maybe we there? should make the tuna chicken roll maybe something chill like the XX or air. Yeah, something like that. Who knows what the song's going to be? It's going to come on in a minute. I'll pick. Yeah. Take a one and all When you come